On that note, let's get started. What is up, everybody? And welcome to the Data on Kubernetes community live stream number 117. And we are with none other, none other than the Doug E. Fresh of Data Mesh, the legitimate father of some beautiful children and the illegitimate father of the cow duck. He is a fan of NAS. He has worked with refugees in Greece. He's done lots of other stuff too that's very exciting. Today he's going to be talking to us about Data Mesh. His name is Luke Feeney. Luke Feeney, welcome back to the Data on Kubernetes community. Very nice to have you with us. How are you doing? Great to be here, Bart. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm here in Dublin in Ireland. It's uh, raining, mixed with sun, mixed with snow, um, and, you know, excited to be here. That's good. For those of us- I like the, the intro, by the way. Yeah. I, that's a know, lot of, it's a real mixed bag there, you know? But it's I all like true. The, the NAS bit, the NAS bit's great, but I mean, it's all I, like, I like early NAS. I like Illmatic. Got a little bit mixed up when he got famous, though, and started making worse music. It's a bit of a shame. Don't let that, don't let that happen to you. Um, well. other, another fun fact that I didn't mention is that Luke is not only a fruit and vegetable eater, but he eats orange peels. So that's a fun fact for all of y'all today. Not only will you, yep, but that's fact, not making it up. When did that start? If you, might mind, if you don't mind me asking. Um, well, you know, I always like the marmalade that has the chunks in it, the mm. chunks of peel. Yeah, the zest. So it's kind of yeah. only a little step away from eating the zest. I, I'm a huge orange eater. I lived in, in Greece and in South of France for a long time and ate a lot of oranges there and I brought the habit with me. Yeah, it's a good habit. Uh, I definitely like oranges, definitely high on my list. But anyway, apart from that, when you're not eating orange peels, you're working very, very hard in a beautiful startup that's called Terminus DB. Can you tell us about that just for folks that maybe don't know you so well? Sure. So uh, Terminus DB is an open source uh, graph uh, database and document store. Um, we are a spin out from Trinity College in Dublin. We spun out in 2018. And um, our origin goes back to a large um, Horizon 2020, which is the European Commission's funding uh, program, a research grant for 4 million euros that, that we won leading a consortium of universities and research institutes and some private sector guys to build um, the technical architecture for something called SESHAT, the Global History Data Bank. It's this big multidisciplinary project to bring together all of the social and economic data sets from all of human history, and then provide them in a machine readable format so people can do long jure historical analysis to try and use the past to predict you know, long trends into the future. Um, so we were building the, the technical architecture for that. And as you can imagine, it's quite a, a, a complex from a data perspective. It's very complicated schema. It's changing a lot. There's sub schema with sub rules. There's lots of constraints. There's non-professionals inputting data into it. It's drawing a lot of um, data from uh, automated scripting, from, from, from scraping websites and from uh, Excel workbooks. Um, so it's complicated. And we realized that we had something that was general purpose that was based around graph technology. And we sort of spin it out. And we started off doing large scale graph analytic installation. So uh, for people that know graph databases, something like Tiger Graph, trying to go into build, you know, big graph anal analytic systems to do predictive analytics mostly um, on large amounts of data. Then we pivoted a bit and went open source. And because we found that it was difficult, we, we have our own query language and we found it was difficult to get that through to people if they hadn't had some exposure. So better to try and start bottoms up. Uh, and we've been at that. We, we, we open sourced it in early 2020. 
and it's hard to know how much time has passed between now and, and early 2020, but, you know, a pandemic's worth of time, however that much feels like. Sometimes it feels like 10 years, sometimes it feels like two weeks. Um, and yeah, so so we, we, we're, we're, um, we're now looking at a more modular system for building data intensive applications uh, that are backed by graph. So providing people with a, a, a JSON patch and diff API uh, with those different building blocks that you might need uh, if you're building a data intensive application, trying to work a lot more friendly with um, other people's systems. So providing schema as a service for MongoDB, um, interacting with other services kind of on the fringes around data intensive applications. Uh, yeah, so so that's kind of where we are. We're we're on GitHub and um, you know uh, all good um, internet browsers. And oh, so and some and maybe even some bad ones. Who maybe knows? yeah, you know, get, find us on tour. We're in there <laughs> in the dark web. I actually um, I went to my first physical meetup again since the beginning of the pandemic yesterday, good. and it was the uh, Web three and Blockchain Ireland meetup. So lots of very unusual characters. It was a it was a funny way to start back into the world, but great to get back into meeting people in person. I have to say, really great. That is that is really great, and and very much looking forward to doing more of that. You know, in our community, hopefully be able to do something together in Ireland in the in the near yeah. future. Um, for folks you know that are in London, we will be in London next month in person. And also just going to take advantage because this is such a beautiful segue. Uh, of our co-located event that we'll be doing in KubeCon. That event will be online. However, speakers are available to give their talks in person in Valencia. They can do the live stream with us. Um, I just dropped the CFP in the chat. This is a reminder if you want to get your talks in. Very, very clear guidelines of what we're looking for. Um, so please take advantage of that. Now, Luke, to kind of cut to the chase because um, we could spend all day talking about orange peels and those who don't study their history are doomed to repeat it. Um, but we're here to talk about data mesh. So data mesh is a hot topic. I mean, and for folks that want to take that a little bit further, there's a great Slack channel that's very, very active where lots of stuff's going on there. I originally, just because we're looking around at different podcasts about data stuff in general, uh, I believe, I don't know if it was in the data engineering podcast or where I first heard about it, but very, very famously, the primary figure who I imagine you'll touch on later, um, although I don't want to mispronounce her name, Zamak Dehrani of Iranian descent background, doing amazing work uh, on this paradigm of data mesh. And a lot of which, from what I understand, relates to transparency, ownership, and to be able to make better decisions inside organizations as the amount of data that organizations handles, uh, handles are, you know, is growing. But obviously you're here to sort of unpack this better for us, Luke. So that being said, if you want to start sharing your screen, take it away. Sure. Th thanks, Bart. I, I don't, I mean, I, I think you're one of the best men for unpacking things really. So you've done a, a good job to kick me off there. Um, and I think, you know, that, that just to, before I share my slides, I think that point is one that really needs to be underlined that this is a, a socio technological paradigm. It is not simply saying here is a new piece of technology and I am a technology vendor in a sense. I mean, we're open source and we're kind of community driven, but we're a vendor of technology. And typically, you know, you have a problem with the way that you manage your data. A vendor proposes to you, here is a piece of technology that will solve all your problems. And, gotcha. you know, here is IBM's Watson as a very bad example, but, you know, something like that. Shout out to IBM. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a solution, whereas this is not really that. This is about organizational transformation combined with um, uh, um, 
technology and using current technologies and maybe some new technologies in order to do it. But on that on that bombshell, I will share my. But I, but I think that's great, and I think it's a good reminder that if, whether we're talking about Kubernetes or data mesh or anything else. Don't just fall into the belief that it's okay. There's a README, there's a GitHub. I download this and I get started. There are so many other things to be considering there, and I think this, some of these will be unraveled as as Luke's talk continues. That being said, who is that beautiful child of God in the photo right there? I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. He was corrupted by the world. That is me. That's Luke Feeney. I'm one of the founders of Terminus TV. That was taken um, uh, some years ago. Six months. Six months ago, <laughs> exactly. Um, so you can see that I had uh, my mother uh, lived in a permanent pandemic where the hairdressers were shut down and just put the bowl directly on top of our heads and, and cut around the edges um, to give us those beautiful haircuts. And my brothers, who you can't see in the, in the background there. Had and matching, matching, matching bowl cuts. Exactly, yeah, yeah. matching bowl cuts. Anyway, I, I, as I said, I'm a, one of the co-founders of Terminus TB. Um, we are a team of 12, uh, mostly engineers, um, who are building um, you know, linked data architecture, linked data modular systems to try and help people um, to build data intensive applications. I'm not going to talk too much about Terminus TB. I will uh, segue into it at the end just to give you an idea of how we think about these problems, but I'll start off um, with 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 this problem that um um you know managing and can you see can you can just see my uh, the slides can you I, yes perfect perfect great um so um managing databases in the CI/CD pipeline is a nightmare um i don't know how many people and probably quite a few people here are involved in that type of thing given this is the data on kubernetes community um migration scripts are um, better than making changes on running servers but um, become hard to manage in complex modern pipelines. I hope that's kind of just taken as a, as a given because it, it certainly feels like one to me. Um, and really in general, in Terminus DB, one of the things that we're interested in is everything as code um, and managing data as code. Um, and I think that there's been so many advances in managing infrastructure as code that now we need to start thinking about managing everything as code. So the modern developer has it easy, uh, to my mind. With Git, CICD, uh, infrastructure as code, uh, and the public cloud, you can have an idea in the shower. You write some code after breakfast. You commit it to Git. And then you're uh, collaborating with your colleagues after lunch. Um, and you then Docker up your app. You terraform some infrastructure, create the CICD pipeline test everything and you've got everything deployed uh, to production by dinner. I'm sure everybody recognizes that it's exactly as easy as that. Um, and then by uh, beer o'clock, you're sitting back uh, and you're watching the hype grow uh, on uh, Hacker News, uh, hopefully wearing that uh, fetching t-shirt. Um, but then, you know, we have a beautiful story of a beautiful developer going through their life in such an easy and modern way but they wake up, uh, you wake up screaming in the night. Um, and, you know, what is the horror that haunts your dreams? What is the nightmare that invades your peaceful bliss and spreads terror across your face? An orange without a peel. <laughs> well, they have those in the supermarket now, which are distressing. That is very distressing. Yeah. You put a stop to that. <laughs> but what is it that could uh, cause such terror? It's the data. 
It's the damn database. Every application is perfect. It's beautiful. It's flawless until you have, you know, real users and their stupid data. That's what brings the pain. Um, and, you know, you want to push more amazing of your beautiful, amazing, hierarchical, well thought out code to production, but the database rears its uh, ugly head. Um, and I saw that Slack was down yesterday, so I'd be interested whether it was the, what exactly was the problem there, but I'd bet you some data was involved. So, uh, and, and, and the database says, come to Freddy. It raises its, you know, iconic knife-fingered glove and sneers. Um, and, you know, and as I was saying, you know, managing databases in the CICD pipeline is, as Freddie says, a nightmare. Um, so Git, uh, CICD, and Cloud APIs have transformed the way software is made. And as we can see, we have this gentleman in the slide to thank for a lot of that. So Linus Torvelds, the inventor of Git, uh, who has a... Um, a sometimes controversial and confrontational personality in a nice way, I think, though. So the days of slow and deliberate software releases with loads of manual work are, I think, gone. And, and now we live in a world of continuous everything as code. But data is still, and I'm sorry to say it, in the dark ages. When the application is live, it has production data. Production data is important, especially to users. It needs to be preserved. We can't just wipe it out when we release a new version of the software to production. Um, and the, the new version of your software has schema changes and new data, and those need to be, that all needs to be updated uh, as well. In the old days, when software changed um, such that the database schema had to also change, the DBAs would uh, wait around for a few months. Uh, they try and hide mostly. Um, and then uh, eventually, after those several months, they do some entity relationship diagrams, they take backups, they modify the schema um, on the live server, and then they, they basically pray for the best. Um, and, you know, back then, I suppose, you know, uh, software didn't deploy very regularly, less than, than, than sort of Hollywood stars would bring out new movies. And when we thought of Agile, we thought of uh, Soviet gymnasts uh, and not software development teams like that chap uh, there who looks very agile altogether. But these days, uh, you know, applications are developed continuously. Uh, different versions of application need to run in test, dev and staging environments, each of which has different data and different schema. So that makes for a difficult set of challenges um, in the setup of each environment and the reliable pro promotion of software from one environment to the next. And moving data to production requires not only updating database schema with the latest changes, but also uh, updating existing data such that it's valid with the new schema. Um, and then staging environments need copies of production data in order to test things properly. You also need all the new data and schema changes that are required to make the new version of the software work. So you're moving data and schema up and down the pipeline. Uh, but unlike your software source code, you don't have Git to clone branch and merge your, your changes. Um, you do migrations and migrations, as we probably all know, are flaky and slow and sometimes error prone um, and can be a little bit terrifying, to be honest. Um, but the good thing about a, a migration is that you can store it in version control uh, with your code, which is, um, you know, at least makes it easier to manage. 
So then we get these chaps coming along and um, the hipster uh, programmers armed with JavaScript and they enjoy their single origin coffee and they're, you know, probably his, uh, his, his glasses actually have um, fake uh, uh, lenses. I've recently uh, had to get glasses for seeing things far away, but they're also a useful prop to make me look more serious. Um, so he, so with microservices, feature flags, and various rollout strategies, and not to, you know, and multiple versions of mobile apps, you need to support all sorts of versions of scheme at the same time, and it all can become quite unmanageable. At the same time, you know, organizations have recognized the data as one of those really key factors for increasing and sustaining innovation um, and driving value for customers and, and business units. So you have um, uh, lots of organizations that are trying to modernize data platforms. And you know, that's a very, very simple uh, setup as you'll have seen from lots of these previous meetups. Um, it's the, the amount of complexity that you can get into this setup is, is enormous and into these diagrams is enormous, but I've just chosen something that's very straightforward uh, just to give us a kind of image of, of where we're at. So, you know, they're mod people are modernizing traditional data platforms with cloud native technologies and uh, that are scalable and feature rich and pretty cost effective. Um, and the beauty of a centralized model like this is that it simplifies staffing and training by centralizing all the data and technical expertise in a single place. So uh, you don't have as much technical debt. So you're managing a single data platform. So that reduces operational costs. So you have a, um, you know, a, a big data engineering team and that can then be divided out into technical functions that they support. So one team might own ingestion and one team might own, um, uh, you know, data pipelines, um, ETL code, orchestrating job runs, those sorts of stuff, meeting SLAs. So you have everything uh, potentially centralized. And but it, it can create, and look at that beautiful monolith there, it, it can create um, problems with scaling, uh, with ownership, and with accountability. Um, scaling often from a human perspective as much as anything else, uh, growing data engineering teams massively um, and finding the sort of skills to go into data engineering teams can be a, a big challenge. Um, um, but also then from a kind of you know, data perspective into the, into the data warehouse or, or wherever else it might be. Um, and, and specific central teams might not understand the needs of a data domain um, you know, due to different types and storage, security, data catalog requirements, specific technologies needed for processing, all, all sorts of different challenges around specific data that comes out of one of those applications that we were, we were talking about before. And um, so when you're looking to make business decisions driven by data, um, it, it can be a good idea to adopt mindset that looks to deliver data products from specialized teams rather than through a centralized data management platform that provides generalized analytics. Luke, you muted yourself. That was a nice move. Uh, I'm, I, where, where, I a, was that self-censorship? That was self-censorship. You, you were actually, talking about the monolith. You were talking about the, some secret about the appearance of the monolith. I, I think that Snowflake might have a, um, have a script installed on my computer that, that, that mutes me every time that I try and insult the company. 
So, and they saw your they saw your glasses come on. They knew you were serious. That's it. They knew I was serious. <laughs> um, so um, you know, it it allows if if you can give ownership and autonomy to the team that owns the data, then they can focus on building data products rather than being limited to a common central um approach. Um, so you can make product teams responsible for ensuring that things like product inventory are, are regularly updated and that the schema is developed to take account of, of, of new features, new realities that that team is facing. And um, so when a discrepancy occurs, they're the ones fixing it. Um, so they can then implement a technical solution to ingest process and produce a data product, um, which then can enforce security, auditing, all that sort of stuff. So it, it, in a big ball there, it's a little bit like a microservice architecture for code. Um, so you, you build, in, in that case, you build the services, you expose APIs, you advertise SLAs for those APIs, uh, and then you uh, operate those services and you own the end-to-end -end customer experience. And so that's the way that you know AWS and Amazon famously uh, does it and did it by um, making everything internal, those microservices that talk to each other through a kind of contract. And really that's an important aspect, I think, of the way that data mesh and the data mesh ideas work. These are the, the, the big principles that Jamak, who you mentioned, Bart, um, outlined in her foundational paper, which um, I will uh, drop into the chat or into the, into the notes afterwards um, but so so basically there's a lot of information out there about this i'm not going to go through it in, in any great detail what what her point of view is it but i'll try and break them down a little bit into um more digestible uh, nuggets and um, so so data pr producers um in the end own the implementation uh, of serving and serving of data products so there's a domain focus um, the, the teams that understand the data should develop the data. And this overcomes that problem that we mentioned about the central data warehouse, which is meant to clean and maintain the data, but they're not experts um, about the, um, the data domain. So the domain that it's working on, say it's an application development that's delivering some functionality out to customers. As the data team, they're not necessarily people that are experts in that. So they have some problems with, um, with, with, with delivering data that's well-structured and well-understood. And they're also then not consumers of that data. There's usually downstream teams, um, data analytics, um, data science teams that are consumers. So they're somewhere in the middle. Um, and I think it's a very common experience um, for... Uh, downstream users in large corporates to be the ones that are screaming the loudest. They're the ones saying, hey, give me my report. I want this from the data warehouse. I'm giving out about the data warehouse team because they're simply not producing quickly enough the sort of outputs that are required. We've got a question, Luke. Uh-huh. How can you achieve data governance in data mesh? Okay, well, I'm going to get to that now in a second because I okay, think that's one of, the, one of the most important things of all to my mind. Attack. Good. Keep going. So data teams are, are cross-functional groups who, who build um, data products. So you're going to have, and again, this gets back to the socio-technological piece that we spoke about at the beginning and we'll speak about again. 
because one of the problems that I've seen when people are talking about real world implementations of data mesh is that splitting up data engineering teams and giving them out to different teams across the organization is very hard um, and has lots of um, secondary problems that are difficult to manage as well. Um, people like to be on teams and collaborating with teams of people that have um, similar incentives and similar uh, perspectives and similar um, and managers who understand the work very directly um, and understand the complexity of the work and the difficulty of the work. And if you're then a data engineer who's put onto a product team, um, it, it can be a more difficult sort of and less attractive sort of position. So that's definitely something that has to be managed within cross-functionality of teams. I, I kind of think it's a, a better thing to be uh, put in there, but that maybe that's just my brain rather than other people's. So data is a product and that's, you know, it's commodity data, it's well-structured, it's well-described, it's easily found, it's easily consumable, uh, which is really important um, because people have to be able to mix and match data products in order to have the same type of analytics that you're gonna have um, in, in the current setup uh, if you've got a big monolith at the core. So the data product is going to have potentially some different inputs for its construction and can have all sorts of ingredients like one of these tomato soups. There could be human curation or AI or it could have different elements which form it. But the consumer who's using it doesn't have to know how the soup's made because it's now a soup. It's not uh, the bits that went into the soup. The tomatoes are gone. They're now a product. Um, and then self-service data. So that's quite important as well, that there's simple discoverability, that services tell you where the, where the product you want is. And um, so you, want, you can find the aisle for the, for the grocery store and uh, where the data you want is. Um, and then the process of obtaining that data is fairly straightforward. So you're gonna have an API um, and the more standard, the better, I'd say, such as you know, HTTPS um, as a very straightforward and standard um, way for accessing that. Uh, data and so then governance and as the questioner uh, correctly noticed that it's probably one of the most important elements and it's a funny one because it data mesh is a decentralizing urge it is the urge to say that the periphery is moving faster than the core and therefore we should provide the periphery for the with the tools to move at its own cadence and that is very much similar arguments from microservices and domain-driven design previously. Um, teams are moving fast, having a monolithic code base doesn't make sense, so allow them to manage the cadence of their own releases from their own base so that they can move at their own pace, uh, rather than having to do everything through, through central with lots of dependencies and lots of bits and pieces that stick together. Um, so, but uh, in that scenario, it, you do need to have a, a centralizing force as well. And the centralizing force has to be governance. So you need to have a data council that is um, at least imposing some common definitions where they bubble up. And to my mind, bubbling up is the right way to think about it. You don't need to impose something that never works, which is a organization-wide um, ontology or a taxonomy. It, it, it's very difficult to do that because it's too granular to get into definitions of every 
um, object that you're going to have within your data domain. So better to have those terms and those concepts that bubble up and require definition across the organization to be dealt with rather than, than, than every single thing. Um, but, you know, if you're just saying to teams, hey, just pick your own tools and just go at it, 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 there's also some difficulty there. So there does probably need to be some definition around that. And much as with microservices, even if you're allowing teams to move at their own cadence, you probably, for organizations of any normal size, you don't want implementations in multiple different languages and frameworks. You'd probably prefer those to be standardized and governed by some central rules. Um, so, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's really important that it has those uh, human and technological structures to deal with questions of discoverability, interoperability, uh, and scaling, exactly how those are going to work. And um, it, it can't be entirely technical. Uh, there are obviously tools that's going to make your life easier, but it really can't be entirely technical. Got a question. Got another question from Luan. What's up, Luan? uh okay he's got a question about data sharing what are the best tools to do this in data mesh environments i just know lake formation and it doesn't look like and it doesn't and it doesn't like it too much which what, what which tool do you say yeah what are the best tools okay so he has a question about data sharing sure what are the best tools to do that in the data mesh environment yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one because there's a lot of tooling that quite isn't quite built yet for things like data sharing. Um, but there are a few different tools that uh, are nascent that do a sort of Git for data sort of thing. And um, Terminus DB obviously being one of them. Uh, Planet Scale, which is obviously a big one um, that does a lot of um, that type of data sharing. Um, they have concepts like branching of databases and uh, other things like that. Uh, there's Dolt, um, Dolt Hub, which is another um, open source database that provides the ability to do a sharing of tabular data. Um, but yeah, you're, you, the, the question is, is, is an apt one because the tooling is underdeveloped for exactly that. Um, and also underdeveloped for mixing and matching of data products. Uh, how do you pull from this data product, combine this one in order to get a derivative data product that allows me to do some, um, you know, second tier analytics off that. Okay. Underdeveloped, we might be able to make an analogy with the Irish national basketball team, but getting there. Not getting there. They're not getting there. Okay, it is getting there on the data. On the okay, data the tooling sharing. for data mesh is much more promising regarding data sharing than the Irish national basketball I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Okay. I actually have no idea how good the Irish national basketball team is, which would be a, a sign that it's very poor. Okay. Um, we do have a national basketball arena though. So who knows? Maybe we'll come good one day. I suspect it's probably a bunch of, you know, guys that didn't make it in college basketball from the United States who are on our team now via having an Irish granny. Yes. Um, but that again, is just, that's pure speculation on my part. So I've got a chance then. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You definitely do. Um, so, so where, where does this leave our hero? Um, in a sense, like his life has gotten a little bit more difficult because previously as a developer on a product team, um, he was extracting his data and then just throwing it um, over a wall effectively 
to a central team that probably you know built the schema, structured the data coming into the data warehouse, and then uh, did all the work in order to serve that up to downstream users. Um, and you know also provided any of the governance that's required. And I think in those sorts of environments, governance is, is usually an afterthought because it's all centralized. And so governance is not as important as it is in a decentralized system like a, like a data mesh um, uh, structure. And, but, but he throws it all over the wall and his life is fine, but then downstream users are the ones that suffer. Uh, there is kind of upside for him as well because he's more, he's more involved in the ownership and the end-to-end -end ownership of his product and the data that is derived from his product too, which it, you know, I think is, is something that's probably undervalued a little bit, how much people care about um, having that end-to-end -end ownership of the data that's being served up um, and how much people care about you know, building really... Um, uh, really detailed and useful data models around the data that's coming out of these things and keeping those up to date. And um, I, I, I kind of think those are very important. And I think in, you know, an SQL world, that's very important as well. Um, I think sometimes in MongoDB application developer document databases, it can be forgotten about, which is a shame because I, it is important and it is something that adds value uh, very quickly. So, as I said, you know, data mesh is fundamentally a socio-technological uh, idea or set of ideas. So really about uh, technology, infrastructure, uh, people, goals and metrics, culture and processes and procedures. It recovers all of those. Um, and it's difficult to think about it just as technology or just as, as, as people. Uh, it has to fit all of those bits together um, to really make sense. So I, I'm going to now just slightly pivot and give it give our technological take on uh, how you might address some of these challenges and really speaking from a, a terminus db perspective um because as we know json documents are central to software developers um and what we try and do is we try and make it easy for people to enter data using json and um, we're, we, we're schema first, so we try and develop data models and then add data according to this model, which is very important for building graphs. Uh, and it becomes even more important when you start worrying about what we talked about there, which is collaboration between graphs. So each one of those um, data teams, domain teams, has a data product, which is built on some um, software or built on some data infrastructure. And then they're trying to collaborate between each other and it's very difficult and it's difficult to share data. It's difficult to get other people's data. But if you have a model driven approach, it makes it much easier to, um, to think of how you, know, how you collaborate between those graphs. So we, we also have um, tools to help people build unique keys for objects, which is kind of critical for that federation of data products. Um, um, which is obviously central to, to data mesh. So, so in our world, then data documents are not uh, just trees. They can have links, they can store links. Um, and the fact that they are links is understood because the schema provides us with the ability to, to check and disambiguate them. Um, and then documents, obviously like this, as you see here, uh, this is our great link between yourself and myself, Bart. 
um, through Ireland to the USA, Joe Bloggs and Jill Smith and Elm Street and Main Street. So it, it shows how JSON documents correspond to elements in our graph. Um, and we genuinely have a graph so you can follow links or chains of links very easily and efficiently. And so it's a kind of what we call a document graph. So trying to take the best of JSON world and, and bring it into a, into a graphy type of world. Um, and we have universal identifiers in the sense of URLs, so which we shamelessly still from, from the semantic web world. Um, and that allows us to do kind of fast local search against links um, and also allows us to take a late binding approach to link across different graphs. And so we resolve those dynamic links to join various data products together. Um, so you have that uh, dynamic versus the static linking. And this is kind of how we think about what a data mesh looks like from a technical perspective of all of those different data domains being able to interlink um, and then provide downstream self-service data for you know, business via queries and um, via an API for machine learning and um, JSON for, for reports for data scientists and data analysts. Um, because we have those universal identifiers, we can mix and match data products. And we can then query across multiple data products simultaneously to explore the links across them. Um, and if the identifiers are formed from sensitive data, uh, you can encrypt or you can create URIs with a hash. And we're kind of looking at how we're going to introduce some encryption technology into that as well. So then you have opaque identifiers that you can refer to, which create real information somewhere else while you retain um, those useful links. So, you know, what, what I'm thinking of there often is say, uh, HR has a data product, which is uh, all of the people that work in an organization um, and their employee numbers. And what's happened in the past is this has been sent off, or at least a part of that has been sent off to um, a, a central data warehouse team and then served up for downstream users to reference against when they're doing some internal analytics on workflow force or something like that, the data science team. Um, but the HR team doesn't update it the right way and the communication, there's a communication lag. They have to go and talk to a data engineer every time they want to change it to the data warehouse team and they hate doing that because um, the data engineer doesn't talk to them nicely, so they don't do it. And then you get all these um, you know, employee numbers that aren't being updated in the right way. And instead, the way that we think about that is that the, the, the HR team would have a data product that is um, all of those details, but they would mask within that data product anything that is sensitive and only serve up the stuff that is, um, you know, uh, useful elsewhere in the organization, such as employee reference numbers or um, things like that, so that you can, so that others can then uh, build their products around that or build their analytics around that. And so we also, you know, Thermos, Thermos DB is a version database, so it allows you to uh, go back in time. We do branches, which I spoke about, which is kind of allows you to have multiple worlds at the same time. So that Git for data sort of idea. Um, time travel, you can go back, you can do Git blame to see who uh, made the mistake and then go and hit them with that pitchfork. Um, and then collaboration, which is really important. So you may, you know, different uh, changes made at different times to that data product. So say you have multiple people working on it, then you can rebase them. Um, so you, you bring everything back into, into a main branch with a rebase. 
So that's really to try and enable fearless experimentation um, and allows people to do structured data development. And, you know, I think to my mind, that's a really important point because one of the problems with, 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 with non-professionals working with data is that they're scared um, and the ability to, uh, to roll back um, or to work on a branch allows people to not be afraid. And what we find from software engineer collaboration is that's really important that you know, not introducing breaking changes is a, is a really important feature. I think that's a great point in general. And that happens as well in a lot of our conversations about you know, data on Kubernetes is that the, sometimes the feeling is leave the data alone, don't touch it, don't move it, don't look at it, don't give it you know, the evil eye, uh, be very careful you know, uh, with anything around that. So having, like you said, that, that safety net, I think is a, a very encouraging element for folks as well too, who traditionally wouldn't see themselves as stakeholders and once in, in this sort of environment, going back to the socio-technological change. I really like yeah. this point. Yeah, and I, I think so. And I think, you know, if I give you, Bart, my beautiful Excel uh, document that I have spent um, the last six years curating. It's all about the statistics of the Irish national basketball team. And I have carefully... So it's, a, it's a full document. Well, full document, yeah, over years. And I have carefully inputted loads of formula into that in order to do lots of um, careful calculations. Now, if I give you that to work on, not only will I be nervous because I don't want you to break it, um, but you'll be nervous because you don't want to break it yep. and allowing people to roll back to earlier versions or to work on a branch of that document or a branch of that production database, just it, it can potentially be a game changer for how people think about it. Yeah. So quick, yes. Real quick. We got a question. Um, how is uh, data governance applied to Terminus DB? So it's a really good one because it kind of goes back to this. Um where is the slide? This one. So you know, TermsDB is a technology and really data governance is all about, um, is mostly about the, the organizational challenges. It's mostly things that TermsDB can't solve. What TermsDB can help people do is, um, you know, discover that data, you know, build catalogs around it, but it's not a, um, it's not a process oriented uh, piece of technology. So it, it requires people to, to separately build those internal organizational principles um, and processes that allow them to, to, to govern the data. And really, uh, you know, if, if I was working for IBM, I'd tell you that I had a different product that could solve it, but I, I, I really don't. I, I can only give the document graph aspect that allows people to better and more easily manage their data products but really we're only one piece of a, of a much broader puzzle um, and can only ever really be one piece of that broader puzzle. Um, so, so, and so this is the piece of that puzzle that we're, we're really all about, which is the collaboration, knowledge graphs and commit graphs. Um, you know, knowledge graphs exposed via simple HTTP APIs and JSON document interfaces and collaboration with branch rebase push and pull and then the commit graph, which allows you to time travel back up and recovery and that is that is what Termos DB is and so just to return to our, our friend here um, at the end of the story for all of his challenges I, I think he's fairly happy in this new world I think that 
He's able to work at his team's own cadence, which is important. I think he has more ownership over the data and the data model that his team is generating. Um, and he has more um, pride in the data that's being produced. And he's not just throwing it over the wall to the data warehouse team, data engineering team for them to deal with. And oh, wait a second, I did have one more slide, but it isn't loading. Um, anyway, my final slide was just to say that if I haven't convinced you that you should be interested in data mesh, um, it was a Google trend slide that shows it kind of becoming ever more popular. Um, and you should probably just check it out just because other people are talking about it. And I find in this world that there is no uh, uh, smoke. If there's smoke, there's going to be fire. Um, and people are finding something that resonates with them. And I, you know, I'll, I'll stop, stop sharing now. Um, but I, I, I find that in a lot of the debates around this, it gets into quite a polarized world and um, between um, what, I, what I sometimes call uh, uh, relational bros or SQL fundos, fundamentalists who are very, you know, who are very bought into the idea of data warehouses, are bought into um, relational database warehouses, and, and, and for good reason. I mean, they, they solve a, a big challenge that people have faced in how they scale and structure their data over the last 20 years. But, but I also find that there's something very real about um, the sort of pain and trouble that people are talking about when they talk about data mesh, when they talk about um, you know, scaling data engineering teams, when they talk about people losing ownership of the data, when they talk about the data as a product in particular, which I think really resonates with people and that product rather than asset thinking. Um, because if, if data is an asset, as it is in the uh, data warehouse world or more is in the data warehouse world, then it's to be guarded and protected. Um, and if data is a product, it's something to be invested in and shared. Um, which is a different mentality. And I think, it, you know, I think it's, it's right for some organizations um, and wrong for others. Some people really care about control and control is really important. And if control is, is the thing that people care about most, then uh, data warehouses and data lakes are, are very good because you can put walls up around them. You can limit access. You can control much more. You have a much easier and um, better interface for that type of thing. But um, I, I think that if you want to scale um, and you want to give ownership to your teams, then people are starting to migrate across to data meshes in one form or another. And they're usually building them on existing technologies. It is not a, it's not a vendor rich space at all. Mostly people are doing it on the back of their existing AWS services or GCP services. They're not, um, you know, buying a whole suite of new things. I think new tooling will start to emerge. And definitely on the data catalog side, we've seen a whole bunch of uh, new tools come along that, um, you know, spin outs from LinkedIn and from um, uh, Airbnb, uh, open source spin out kind of things that are, that are, that are very cool um, and provide that kind of visibility across your data ecosystem or data domain. But again, it's not a, it, it has, in many ways, the data mesh community has the kind of opposite challenge to some of the others, like the ML ops community, which people probably know, yeah. which you have to like beat the, the vendors back with a stick all the time because they're constantly 
uh, trying to bite everybody and say, oh, what about this? In the in the data mesh community, often it's like, come on, vendors, you know, tell us what you got. Well, what do you got, guys? It's um, yeah, it's no, it's, and I mean that's something that's that's with something that's nascent, that's so innovative, that is yet to be dominated by those vendors. Once again, shout out IBM, shout out. To IBM. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true is that it's um, and, and obviously that has pros and cons. It means that there's you know plenty of fresh ideas and lots of energy going into it. But to separate the wheat from the chaff, you know, to really try to get down to it, and say like, hey, can we just have a, a technical conversation about this rather than check out our new features or you know j- jump in right now and get some kind of a discount. I think um, for from the user's perspective, that's that's where it becomes a challenge, and some folks don't want to have to go through that. I would say that it's also it's something that I think that when you're in these spaces, it is it would seem with Kubernetes. You assume you're going to. I talked about this many times. You assume you're going to walk down the street. You know, ten people are going to be talking about Kubernetes. Well, guess what? Nobody. And and yeah, they, not around, all around here, Bart. I'm telling you, I walked yeah. down the street, went for a cycle earlier. Everybody, K eight. Yeah, K-8s and Irish National Basketball Team. And which, by the way, I did a little bit of research while we were talking. And in their first uh, international debut, they played Mexico. And they lost by 62 points, 71 to 9 in 1948. So that, nice. was, that, was, that was a tough one. But since then, they, they've improved a lot. In, in 1990, they crushed Gibraltar um, 112 to 39. So there's, there are surprises everywhere in Ireland, but I think, I think the point is that data mesh is a growing, uh, it's a growing community. There's a great amount of interest in this. Obviously, you know, John McDegani is kind of, you know, leading the charge or has been, you know, central figure. So if, if you want to know more about this, there's tons of, you know, blogs and tons, things like that. Tons. tons I, I tons tried of... not to kind of go back over that ground because there's just a lot about like, no, no, that's it. Central ideas, which I, I think, think people should check out because it's really quite interesting and it's quite a, it's quite a um, a philosophical sort of thing. Um, and for that, people who are very practically minded sometimes can be a bit quick to dismiss it because it is, it's like, you, you know, it's exactly as you said, it's like, you know, you got to separate things out. Like, how do I do this? You know, what, what am I going to do here? And, and people want something to do. And there's not really, that's not really there in a lot of the core ideas around it. It's more like, Here's a framework in which we could think about these things. And here's a very domain-driven design sort of way of approaching these problems without then getting to the nuts and bolts. And I think even in Jamak's stuff for Tortworks, you know, a big global consultancy, mm. um, she, you know, she identifies that there's gaps that are being poorly plugged in existing implementations by AWS Glue often. Um, we, we, shout we, out, shout out to AWS. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I, I know, you mean, and, but I think also is that, you know, it's, it's a similar challenge we encounter with data on Kubernetes. You know, there's, there is a book that's being written for O'Reilly by some of our community members. And it's really exciting to see that, you know, the part, the participation of different folks getting involved, but a lot of the stuff is still being done for the first time. So it's not codified yet. You know, there's not, there's not like a one-stop shop for, for how to do this. So because of involving that trial and error, there are going to be some holes involved. I would say though, and to your point, as you mentioned, and that's why, because I think I listened to the first podcast about that within the last year. And as a non-technical person, but because we're talking about, you know, paradigmatic changes, organizational development, resistance to change, change management, which however though, I think are, whether we're talking about operators or we're talking about, um, you know, writing stiff workloads in Kubernetes, these these things as, as technological as they are, 
they, they do involve either bottom-up or top-down changes that have to take place of, of different sources of pressure and interest. And if we miss that part of the, the conversation, I think we're, we're missing out on a lot of it. So anyway, it's my two cents on that. One thing I do want to ask is that when we put data mesh in the context of Kubernetes, is there anything special that stands out there talking about stakeholders, or is it something that that we're is still not getting to that point yet, maybe not mature enough? What, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I mean, I, I you know, my basic point of view is that the data mesh can be implemented in lots of different ways, and that therefore Kubernetes is going to be a core part of that for, for certain teams that are uh, already using Kubernetes for, for, for whatever they, they want to, um, and that it can they can probably mesh together pretty effectively. Um, but again, I agree that it's not, that we're not far enough along to see what best practice is, to see how uh, we talk about best practice in terms of tooling, in terms of, um, you know, even in terms of team composition, I don't think we're quite there yet in terms of governance. As you'll have heard from some of the questions I answered, they're a little bit woolly because it's like, well, you know, that's not really that solved yet. There's a lot of conversation, discussion within individual organizations for how you best go about that. Um, and you know how you set up a, a good data catalog and provide observability and discoverability for the data that's out there and then put governance rules on top of that, uh, automated governance rules. So I, I just think that there's, that there's a lot, uh, there's a long way to go with this um, and that it can be implemented in lots and lots of different ways. Um, and that the most important thing we should take from, from, from this uh, is that, that, you know, there's an issue um, that data mesh is addressing and that that resonates with a lot of people. And whether you agree with the, um, the, 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 the solution or not, which many people don't, um, it, you have to recognize that there's, that there's something that has resonated that's important to people and important to uh, professionals that are working in data organizations in, in different places um, and who are putting a lot of effort into trying to make this. And, you know, if you look at something like Airbnb, um, they have a, a type of data meshy sort of setup that was built before data mesh was really a very strong idea. Um, and, 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 and guys like that are using Kubernetes. It's, it's just about how they use them and where they use them and where they fit into their processes. Great stuff. Excellent. Very, very good. Luke, as always, a pleasure to be with you. Amazing. Uh, absolutely amazing. You can tell you were a diplomat. And, yeah. but I, no, but I also like what you said as well, too, is that, you know, as, as what happens with every technology, you know, there are tribes, there are camps, there's this group, there's that group, there's, well, the cool kids are doing it, they're, they're not doing it. Anyway, I think that it's, I, once again, I, I really do respect the fact that you, that you come to this you know, arena with uh, the diplomatic experience that you have, having been in different countries. I think there's a, a lot to be said for that as we look at things on a macro level of seeing what's going on in terms of uh, trends and, and just basic human patterns playing themselves out as they've done in so many other places. Yeah, that and means, I, I yeah. Part, importantly there, I think that, you know, like a lot of this stuff, it, it kind of has to be bottom up. There's a, there's a feeling of I, I don't know. There, there's there's an interplay between top down and bottom up that's difficult to kind of get your finger on because a lot of this is like you know organizational governance. Here's a big picture of my organizational governance, and I'm mm -hmm. going to impose a solution on everybody. 
But there has to be a bottom-up pressure there as well to say that I have seen a problem, I recognize that problem, I now wish to kind of work with building something that is better for us all. Um, and, and, and really that's where we come from, where, where I come from, from the open source tradition that's very um, focused on trying to give people tooling that they want to use. Nobody's going to force you to use um, any open source tool. I mean, there's no... Like you said, I think that's why with the bottom up sort of approach is that that demands more authenticity and legitimacy and an honest, real, genuine support. Um, perhaps there's something to be said for that rather than just, oh, CTO says all of a sudden we're switching to this and we got to do it that way. Now, yeah. almost from a talent perspective, you can't really afford to do that in an organization yeah. level because people will leave um, if yeah. they don't feel like they're being taken into consideration for certain technological decisions. And I've seen that happen. So that's, I think that's a really nice point too. Just because we got a little bit of time left, anything else we should know about Terminus stuff that's coming up? Uh, are you hiring? Are you not hiring? Are you looking? Are you growing? What's We're growing. Up? We're growing. We don't have any specific uh, hiring plans right now just because we need to kind of get around to delivering them. So we are we just launched this JSON patch and diff API. Um, so we're, we're excited about that. Um, it, it kind of is uh, open, so anybody can go and throw whatever JSONs they have at it and, and see what the differences are between them. Um, we uh, are about to launch a Excel integration to try and bring Excel data into the graph and allow people to really do that very simply. Um, and we're about to launch a bunch of tooling around um, a schema as a service for MongoDB. So that's all up on our on our website and we're blogging about it. Um, and yeah, you know, um, those, those are the kind of things that we're going to be really focused on Terminus DB for a while. We're, we're very much a bottoms up sort of um, organization. So it's all about software developers. It's all about data professionals coming and using the tooling and liking it and us trying to improve the developer experience. And um, so it's... Um, you know, we, we live and die by the uh, by the, the viewers of, of data on Kubernetes. <laughs> Good. Much appreciated. Very, very happy to hear that. And as, as it once again goes to the, the point of authenticity, as is tradition in the data on Kubernetes community, I'd like to share my screen right now so the folks can see the amazing artwork that was done while Luke was talking and by our amazing artist, Anke. So we see quite a few different concepts here. We got Freddy Krueger. We got a shopping cart. We've got quite a few different things. It does, did the Irish national basketball team make it in here or we'll have to, anyway, this could be a basketball <laughs> net. This could be a basketball, it's, the data mesh is really just a basketball net. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, Luke, absolute pleasure as always. So nice to have you uh, with us in the community. Hopefully we can get something together in person in, in Ireland that doesn't have to be about crypto or Web3. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thank you very much for your time and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks Bart, thanks everybody, see ya. Enjoy your orange peels. Cheers. Cheers, man.